Today we're going to start this new series called I Choose. So it's a, obviously it's about choices uh, that we make, good choices, bad choices, but we're going to be talking about making the right kind of choices to make our lives better. You've no doubt heard that statement, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. There's a guy who, I think he died in 1957 or something. He was a Baptist preacher and he made that, that he was the first to evidently make that statement. We make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. The idea is that our, our current life, the life that we live right now is a result of the decisions that we have made in the past. And the life that we will be living in the future will be the result of the decisions that we are making right now. So over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four very common choices. At the close of this morning's service, hopefully you'll see another one of those videos of people sitting in a restaurant that will introduce next Sunday's topic. But the choice for today is this, purpose over popularity. We usually cho choose popularity, you know, because it feels better, but purpose over popularity. Now, in case you didn't get the wording, I really like these videos that we'll be introducing each thing. In case you didn't get the wording, I'm going to tell you about those two ladies that came and sat down. And the first lady, when asked, what can I get for you, said, I'm thinking about getting the approval of others. And then she looks at the lady across the table and says, what do you think about that? And the other one says, oh, definitely. And so the waiter says, excellent choice. It comes with 2,000 Facebook likes. Uh, and and he, he turns to the other woman, and woman number two says, I'll have the approval of others also, but on a bigger, much nicer place. And could I get it with likes and followers? And he says, of course, two popularity specials, one with comparison and one without. Comparison's an important topic today. I'll get that started for you and also bring out a basket of selfie sticks with that. So I, well, you know, that, I, I just wanted you to get all of that because it's pretty good. Listen at the close of the service today. Listen at the opening of the service next Sunday. You will appreciate it. But imagine this for a, minute, for a moment. Let me talk about popularity. Imagine for a moment that everyone likes you. Everyone likes you all the time. Can you imagine that? Everybody likes you all the time. You're always popular. Everybody just thinks whatever you do is great. Now, who thinks that's possible? Now, you know that's impossible, right? That's an absolute impossibility. Perhaps you've heard this before, and, and I think it relates. You can fool all the people some of the time, and you can fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Remember that, that particular statement? And you can put in, you can be liked by too because it kind of, kind of goes along with fooling. You can be liked by all the people some of the time and you can be liked by some of the people all the time but you can't be liked by all the people all the time. It just doesn't work and if it did work it wouldn't even be worth the effort that you had put into it. But now imagine something that can happen. That can't happen. Maybe you go to sleep at night dreaming about being liked by people and people thinking you're great, people think you're wonderful, and people liking everything you put on Facebook and things of that nature. But, but imagine this, imagine pleasing God. That's the thing we need to go to sleep thinking about. Imagine being so consumed with pleasing Christ that the approval of others doesn't dominate you. Now, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. Come on, let's, get, let's just face it. We like it when people like us. We like that. And, and when somebody thinks we've done a good job and they pat us on the back, we like that. It's not a bad thing. 
to, to show some approval to somebody. So I'm not talking about totally disregarding the approval of other people. But I, I say, imagine being so consumed with pleasing Christ that the approval of others is nice, but it doesn't dominate our lives. It doesn't drive us. It doesn't, it doesn't dictate what we're going to do. Imagine waking up each day knowing that you're getting ready to do what God created you to do. You know, you're, you're fulfilling your purpose for being on the planet. That's what it means to choose purpose over popularity. Now, of course, the problem in so many of us is that by default, we choose popularity. This seems like the natural thing to do. What do you think of me? You know, do you like me? You like my Facebook image? Do you think I'm successful? Uh, you know, do, do, do you think I'm, I'm doing a good job of this? The problem, of course, is that we, if you don't know what the purpose of a thing is, you, you, you don't know how to evaluate whether the thing is doing a good job or not. You, you tend to misuse the thing. Uh, and, and if we don't know the purpose of our lives, we end up experimenting and just doing the wrong thing over and over again and making a mess. Years ago, I don't watch a lot of, never have watched a lot of TV game shows, but there was one I was kind of enjoyed. It was in the 70s, I think, maybe made it into the 80s. It was called the Liars Club. I don't know if you remember the Liars Club or not, but the Liars Club, what they would do is they would bring out an obscure image like that one right there. We're going to talk about that image right there. So be thinking about what is that. They would bring out an obscure image, and nobody knew what it was. And you'd have, you had four hosts and four contestants, and each one of the hosts would, would say what it is. Three of them would be lying, one of them would be telling the truth, and then the contestants would try to decide which one was telling the truth. Now, what is this? This thing, that the big thing that's right there, and by the way, the little image up in the right is kind of what the big image looks like on the back. Well, the first host, I, I, I was watching a redo of this yesterday, the first host said, and that thing, that lever on the top moves back and forth, so they were holding it in their hands and moving it back and forth, and the first host said, this is a guillotine, an ancient antique guillotine lever. When you pulled it, you know, the, the, the blade fell and chopped off the king's head. The second one said, it's an, it's an antique elevator level. You push it, you know, when you want to go up, you pull it when you want to go down. The third one said, no, 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 what it is, it's an antique barber chair lever. Now, if you go to the barber, you know that they still pump you up and down, you know, with the levers. That's what it is, it's an antique barber chair lever. And the fourth one said, it is a marmalade cutter. You stick the orange in the back and you go back and forth with it like this, and it peels the orange and it makes marmalade. Now, I want you to vote on this this morning. I want you to tell me what you think it is. Is it a guillotine lever? An elevator lever, a barber chair release, or a marmalade cutter, all right? And, of course, if you're right, it doesn't make any difference. And if you're wrong, it doesn't make any difference. Just having a little fun. So how many vote for guillotine lever? All right, how about elevator? Okay, we got, got some elevator levers. Okay, that's good. How about barber chair? Okay, got some barber chairs. Quite a few. That seems to be a hot one there. How about marmalade cutter? We got some marmalade cutters. Now, when I was watching this thing, I thought marmalade cutter was the stupidest of the four things, but guess what it is? It's a marmalade cutter. According to Yorkshire Dale's Antiques, it is an antique marmalade cutter. But if you did, can you imagine trying to make your elevator go up and down with that if you didn't know the, what it was designed for and you're trying to do all these other kind of things with it? Can you imagine that? Now, 
Yesterday afternoon, by the way, I went to see Frank Shield, and he had this yellow thing hanging around his neck. Uh, so I took a picture of it. Now, I was wondering, what is that yellow thing hanging around Frank's neck? Now, it was about the size that would fit into his mouth. You know, the whole thing fit into his mouth. And so I thought, you know, Frank's having a lot of physical issues. And I thought, you know, if a person has a seizure, you would, you have to stick something in their mouth to keep them from swallowing their tongue or chewing their tongue up. So I thought maybe it's a, like a, a tongue depressor, uh, tongue protector thing. Uh, and when I got home, I showed Jean the picture, and I said, what do you think this is? And uh, she looked at it, and she said, well, it looks like a giant pacifier to me. <laughs> you know, maybe Frank's sucking a pacifier uh, now. Uh, neither one of those things are right, by the way. Do you have any idea what that yellow thing is? The per- is. Okay? I shouldn't have let him tell because obviously he knew what it was. It's a duck call. It's a duck call. Yeah. Uh, it is not made by the guys in Louisiana, by the way. Uh, that, their duck calls look way different from that and cost a whole lot more money uh, than this one. This was made in Seattle, Washington. But it is a duck call. What is Frank doing with a duck call hanging around his neck? Well, if you're in the other room and he needs you, instead of ringing the bell, he's quack, quack, quack. He quacks at you. He quacks at you. So, uh, you know, uh, what do you think? If you don't know the purpose of a thing, all you can do is misuse it. I'd have been trying to hold... Frank's tongue down with it. Gene would have had him sucking on the thing. And all he has it around his neck for was instead of ringing a bell, he quacked so that the person in the other room would know to come. Now, if you don't know the purpose of the thing, you will misuse the thing. Many of us don't know the purpose of our lives. Think about this. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, you don't ask the thing what is your purpose, but you ask the one who created the thing. In our case, we are the thing, But instead of asking the creator, why did you make me? Why did you put me on this earth? What is it that you want me to do today? Instead of doing that, we ask each other, tell me what my purpose is. Do you like me? Do you like my clothes? Do you like my hairdo? Do you like my car? Do you like my house? Am I important enough? Do I fit in? Are you following me on Instagram and Facebook? Is my job as important enough? Do these jeans make me look fat? Do I measure up? Do you like me? Am I important? You know, all those kind of things. And before long, without even knowing it, we're living for the approval of people rather than caring what God put us on this planet to do. Now, here's the, here's the problem with that. Living for the approval of people keeps you from the purpose of God. Anytime we're consumed, now I didn't say we don't care because you care, and, and it's okay to care what people think, but, but living for the approval of people keeps you from the purposes of God. Anytime we're consumed with what people think about us, we tend to forget why God put us on this planet to start with. So today we're talking about making the conscious choice. I'm gonna make a conscious choice to live according to God's purpose for my life. And while I do care what other people think, I will not let it dictate the way that I live. Now, a great example of someone who did this, uh, one of the most famous men in the entire Bible in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Moses. What Moses is known for is leading the nation of Israel out of slavery and Egypt and up to the promised land. You may remember the story about how that the king of Egypt, who was known as the Pharaoh, uh, was trying to control the population of the Israelites so they wouldn't get out of hand. And he was having all boy babies murdered at 
birth. Uh, Moses' parents did not let that happen to him. Instead, they hid him for three months. I guess he got too loud, and so then they made a little, little boat uh, out of reeds and so forth and, and set him adrift on the Nile River where they knew Pharaoh's daughter would come along, and she did come along, and she adopted him. She fell in love. Who doesn't fall in love when they see a little baby, right? He was probably cooing at her instead of screaming his lungs out at the time. And so she adopted him, and he grew up, uh, in Pharaoh's family. He grew up in the lap of luxury. He prob- he, at that particular time, it was probably the place to be in the entire world. You know, you had everything you could possibly want. But when Moses became an adult, he chose to give up comfort and he chose to give up privilege and luxury to be what God had originally created him and designed him to be. He chose purpose over popularity. So we're going to read in Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is the great faith chapter in the New Testament, but it talks about Moses. And so Hebrews 11.24 says this, By faith, Moses. If you want to know the purpose of God, you walk by faith. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, when Moses became an adult, He made a choice, and he said, I am not going to be what I am not supposed to be. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. And so verse 25 says, choosing rather. He made a choice. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. People tell me sin can be a lot of fun. Uh, Of course, having never sinned, I don't know the answer to that. I hope you realize that was was meant to be funny. Uh, we all try sin out. It's all somewhat enjoyable uh, for a short period of time. But we might look at this decision that Moses made and said, all right on Moses, that's what I would have done. That was the right thing to do. But think about this. He is choosing to suffer. He is choosing to be mistreated. He is choosing to identify with slaves rather than to live in the very lap of luxury and have anything he, he, he could possibly want. And he did this, verse 26 says, esteeming or because he considered or because he regarded the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He was looking at what the future would bring. That word reproach contains the idea of contempt and abuse and shame. As I said, the Hebrews were slaves and he chose to be abused. He chose to have contempt heaped upon him. He chose to have to run for his life. He chose purpose over popularity. He chose his calling over being comfortable. Now, not wrong to be comfortable, not wrong to have stuff, not saying that. I'm not saying, boy, I hope I can live as a slave for the rest of my life and not be able to enjoy anything. I like to have fun. I like to have nice stuff. I like to be comfortable. I like to go cheer for the the good football team and all that kind of stuff. I like to be able to do that kind of thing. But sometimes we have to choose purpose over popularity. The thing that kept Moses going was that he kept his eyes on the future. Not on what was going on right now, but the future. He looked to the reward. He looked to the great reward that lay ahead of him because he was doing the right thing now. And talk about purpose for just a minute. I think a lot of us Christians, we get freaked out when somebody says, what's your purpose? Oh, what's my purpose uh, in life? Uh, uh, maybe God wants me to be a missionary. You know, and go to the farthest reaches of the earth and learn a language that nobody else has ever learned. Or, or, or maybe God wants me to, be, uh, to cure cancer. I'm going to become a scientist and I'm going to cure 
uh, breast cancer. But I'm wearing my pink shirt today. Uh, it's in recognition of, of all cancers. It's, can it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but I have to mention, I forgot to say earlier, my, my sister died of lung cancer. You know, so I, I have kind of a special affinity for young lung cancer and, and, and desiring to see that wiped out uh, as well. But maybe I'm... Maybe, maybe, uh, I, I am called to be worship leader to the stars or pastor to thousands. Uh, what has God called me to do? There's a new uh, situation comedy that's come out called Kevin Can Wait, uh, Kevin James. You know, I've not, not seen it. I just know that it's coming on. The reason it caught my eye is, uh, or ear is because it has the same name as a 1983 Christian film called Kevin Can Wait. Now, uh, we've shown that film around here, but just not well liked anymore because it's so out of style right now. You know, it doesn't fit anymore, but the message is great. You see the two guys in there, the, the dark-headed guy on the top of the film is kind of the star, and he's jogging one day, and he comes out to what looks like the, a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean, and, and he's been praying, and he calls out to God, and he says, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go, and he starts coming back, and he makes contact with this other guy who happens to be an angel. And the angel says to him, God heard what you said out there, that you were willing to do whatever he wants you to do. And he sent me to tell you about it. And so uh, the guy, the star there, he's wondering, what is it that God wants me to do? And he, it, he's, he's, he dreams about rowing a boat you know, through the darkest, uh, a river in the darkest jungle. And he dreams about being a pastor, all dressed up in his fancy suit. And you look out and thousands and thousands of people are out there. He's wondering, what great thing does God have in mind for me? But he kept putting it off and putting it off. Meanwhile, there was this, this other guy about his age that came into his life. This other guy's name is Kevin. Kevin was a mechanic, kind of shy, kind of backward, and he kept pushing Kevin aside because, hey, God's got something great for me to do. God has a purpose for my life. I'm going to be famous in this world. You know? And people are going to say, wow, that guy really does something for God. And he kept pushing Kevin aside. So the movie is called Kevin Can Wait because what God wanted this guy to do was spend time with Kevin. What God wanted this guy to do was show the love of God to Kevin. Uh, not be, uh, you know, not preach to thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. He wanted this guy to spend time with Kevin. Now, that's the way I think we need to think about purpose on a daily basis. My purpose for right now may be just to be the voice of encouragement to my neighbors or my family or somebody at work. It may just be to pray for that person in need or to help that person that comes into my path. The reason to be faithful in this, whatever this seemingly small thing might be, is because God uses those small things to get you ready for any big thing that you might do. And that might be the big thing. Jesus said this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. That is, the person that's faithful to do the little things that I give him to do is the person that's going to be faithful to do the big thing that I give him to do. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in the much. If, if he won't do the little things, he's not going to do the big things, so I'm not going to trust him with it. In verse 11, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, the word mammon just means 
material stuff. If you haven't been faithful in the material stuff, the little things that I've given you, who will commit to you the true riches? Who's going to give you the big job? Not, not God. You, know, you, do the, you do whatever your purpose is for today. Don't worry about what great thing God is going to do uh, through you or in your life. But if you just do what God has for you to do today, he will show you those things in the future. Your big thing may be to raise your children. Your big thing uh, may, uh, so that you know, they'll know and serve Jesus. Your, your big thing might be a non-ministry job where you will be able to support uh, ministry. You'll never know for sure what it is until you're willing to do whatever it is God puts in your path today. There is power in purpose. There's power in recognizing that for this moment, in, for this person's life, I am called to make a one-on-one -on -one difference with him. Do, you, do what God wants you to do now. And if he's got something else for you to do in the future, he'll let you know what that is. So today we're going to just going very quickly, I'm going to talk about three thoughts about the power of purpose. And here's the first one. If, if, you just, if you're focused on purpose, not what you look like, not what might happen in the future, but if you're focused on your purpose, purpose diminishes distraction. The main thing that keeps us from fulfilling God's purpose in our life is that we get distracted by stuff, you know? We run over here, we do this, and we run over there, and we do that, and we get discouraged about this, and we get discouraged about that, and, and, and we have this project and that project. And, and, and the main source of our distractions is this. It's the curse of comparing. We, we want to be popular. We, we didn't even know we wanted that particular thing until we saw somebody else have it. We didn't know we wanted to live in that kind of house until we saw somebody else living in that house. We didn't know that we weren't making enough money until we found out how much money somebody else was making. Uh, that guy, he has a great job, and he's married already. She's finished college, you know, and, and I'm on my sixth major and not even in college. They live in a much nicer neighborhood than we live in. Just whatever works for you. You know, just fill in the blank there. I, don't, I, I can't get into everybody's mind, everybody's age group. You just fill in the blank. You know, what, what, are, we, what, what are we distracted by? You know, we, we're comparing ourselves to other people and we get distracted. One of the characters in the Bible that's a great example of overcoming distraction is a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a servant. Or hell, he held a very responsible position in the Persian government. He was a Hebrew, he was a Jew, but it was when they were in captivity to the Babylonians and then the Persians, and he was held a very high responsible condition, uh, position. But he heard about the home city of Jerusalem, and he heard about how the walls of the city were broken down and the gates of the city were broken down. He was disturbed by that, and so he got permission from the king to go do something about it. He returned to Jerusalem, he organized the people, and he rebuilt the, 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 the walls. And that sounds wonderful, except for the fact that he's, he had opposition after opposition, all kinds of things thrown into his path. He, his enemy ins, enemies insulted him, they ridiculed him, they threatened him, they sabotaged his work, they did everything to make it hard for him to rebuild this particular, do this particular project that God had him on. Now, when he was almost finished, here's what happened. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Just some words here I want you to keep in mind. Almost finished. Nehemiah 6, 1 says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though 
At the time, I had not hung the door. In other words, I'm almost finished with the job. Verse 2, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me and said, Come, let's meet together among the villages in the plain of Ano. But they thought to do me harm. He said, they were trying to get me to come off the job. Let's go have a meeting out here. Maybe they're going to kill him. Who knows what they were going to do? Verse 3, so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go with you? He said, what I'm doing, I'm doing something important here. And, and you can criticize me and you can ridicule me and you can laugh at me and you can do all kinds of things and you can tell me that I'm unimportant, but I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. Why should I let your opinion distract me? And that's a good lesson for each one of us. Sometimes people distract us into thinking that what we're doing for God is not important. And we need to be able to say, it may not seem big now, but it's what God has called me to do. And I'm going to be faithful to it. And maybe someday God has something bigger in mind for me. Maybe God's called you to get out of debt. People might make fun of you because you're driving some kind of an old junker car because of the house that you live in or because you take your, 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 your lunch to work in a bag every day. But what, no matter what people say, your attitude should be, look, I'm doing a great work. And I can't, I can't be distracted by what you have to say. Someday God may have something bigger for me to do. Maybe God's called you to, uh, to remain pure until the time that you get married. And people may make fun of you and, and, and call you old-fashioned. But you, your attitude needs to be, look, this is what God has called me to do. I can't come down from this to your level, uh, no matter what your opinion is, because someday God has something greater in mind for me. Perhaps God has told you that raising children is the most important thing that you can do right now. Other people say, or you could make a bunch of money if you were over here, or you could be famous if you were over there. But God said, but what we need to say is, look, I know, for me, I know my purpose right now is to raise these children. Someday, God may have something greater for me. By the way, there is nothing greater than raising children, but, but there are things that, that might give us more uh, recognition than that. So purpose diminishes distractions. When I know, I, say, I know this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to be distracted from it. The second thing is that purpose, purpose pushes you through pain. I say this because when you choose to do the right thing, there's always some opposition involved. When you choose the right thing, there's always some pain involved. Things don't go, just go wonderfully for you because you choose to do the right thing. Thing. Satan will attack you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, the apostle Paul wrote this, yes, and all who live, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Name anyone you want to name in scripture. And they went through some difficult times. Not that it was all bad, but they went through some difficult times. Whenever you choose to do what God calls you to do, Satan will oppose you. Here's what Moses Kept Moses going. Go back to Hebrews eleven twenty six 26 uh, a couple more times before we finish. Moses considered the reproach of Christ, uh, all the suffering of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Rather than comparing himself to others, Moses' eyes were focused on Jesus and his coming and his purpose for his life. And think about this. There's greater value in serving God's purpose than living for the approval of people. You don't get much out of the approval of people, just a little feel good, a little bump, you know, feel a little good for a while. The value uh, is in serving God's purpose. And think about this, you know, when you suffer a little bit for Christ, 
you fellowship with him more in that than any other way because you know Paul the Apostle said one time that he wanted to know Christ and he wanted to know his suffering and he wanted to know his death and he wanted to know his resurrection and when you suffer a little bit we're not called on to suffer much but we suffer a little bit we come a little bit more like Jesus one more thing about purpose purpose diminishes distractions purpose pushes us through pain and finally purpose empowers you to please God when you know what your purpose is, you will be able to please God. It takes faith to please God, faith through purpose. Moses faced all kinds of opposition as he followed God's command to lead Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. So, I mean, he got all kinds of, into all kinds of problems, and it, it wasn't just from Pharaoh, it was from his own people. It wasn't just while he was in Egypt. After he got him out of Egypt, his own people kept giving him trouble. He had trouble from them till the day he died. They kept, uh, you know, the thing that kept Moses going the whole time was that he knew that he was doing what God told him to do. Now, every once in a while, he had to go to God and say, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know, I've had about all this I can take. Uh, God, I just want you to get rid of these people right here. But every once in a while, he had to go to God with that. But the thing that got him back on track and kept him going was knowing his purpose. It reminds me of some guys in the New Testament. It's what Peter and the other uh, uh, followers of Jesus faced uh, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. One time they were arrested. And they were said, don't ever preach about Jesus again. We don't want to hear anything that goes on. And they got thrown in jail. In the middle of the night, an angel came and let them out of jail. And the angel said to them, I want you to go right back where you were before, and I want you to tell, tell people about Jesus. And so they did it. And what happened to them when they did that? They got arrested again the next day by the same guys. In Acts 5, 28, these Jewish leaders said to them, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Didn't we specifically say don't talk about Jesus? You know, you can talk about God, you can talk about angels, you can talk about spiritual things, you can talk about uh, uh, power. You can do that today, but when you start talking about Jesus, it gets you in trouble. Didn't we tell you very specifically, don't do that? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. And here's how Peter answered in verse 29. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to do that. The word ought means we must. It means it is absolutely necessary. That's our purpose on this earth. He died to pay the price for my sin. He freely gives me the gift of eternal life. Ultimately, he wins, by the way. Ultimately, I don't care how things are going anywhere on earth. Ultimately, God wins. And those who follow God wins. So ultimately, we must obey God rather than man. Because of this, think about this. We can't please everyone. It is absolutely impossible. We cannot please everyone, but we can please God. Isn't that amazing? You can't please people, but you can please the very God of the universe. It's futile. It's pathetic to live our lives based on the approval of others. What do you think of me? Uh, do you like me? You think I look good? You know, how hey, you like my house? The way I take care of my yard. What do you think? What do you think? It's impossible to, you know, to please people. It's a very little value. Do you think I'm cool? You know, am I one of the cool people? Are you impressed with me? Why don't you follow me on Facebook? Let's go back to what Moses, uh, what the, the verse says about Moses. One more time, Hebrews eleven twenty six. Moses considered the reproach of Christ. Moses considered having bad things happen to him for Christ's sake. 
greater riches than all the treasure of Egypt. And it was a rich place at that time where he looked to the reward. He looked for what's going to come in the future. I'm going to read that to you a couple more times. You know, sometimes I like to read it in different translations. In the, the New International Version, uh, Scripture says this, He, that is Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead his reward. The New Living Translation says, He, Moses, thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was of greater value because he saw what the outcome would be. Sometimes we look in the short term, you know. Uh, the short term, just a, a very simple example that we've all experienced was, I think I'm going to buy that new car. don't have the money, but I think I'm going to buy that new car. Now, if you look down the road, you say, if I don't do that, look what I'll be able to do in the future. You know, that's kind of looking down the road and seeing the reward. Well, the reward's far greater than that uh, for serving Christ, but you know, there's some value in our comfort, but there's far greater value in looking ahead to the reward, far greater value in being loved by God. There's far greater value in, 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 our, in God's calling. There's some value in having fun with your friends, but there's a lot more value in faithfulness to God. There's some value in being popular. There's some value in that. You get something out of it. But the far greater value is in serving God's purpose. If you're raising little kids, and a few of you are three around here getting ready to, to raise a brand new one here in the not-too-distant future. If you're raising little kids and you're up to your neck in diapers and you wonder if you'll ever have a normal, another normal adult day, knowing, know that when the, the time that you're with that little child is the most important thing that you will do in your life. And know that God is just getting ready, getting you something, ready for something greater. And by the way, they're just greater and greater. The older they get, the greater and greater they can be. When you're raising teens and you meet a new challenge every day and you wonder if you can make it and you wonder if it's worth it, remain faithful to God's call and know that there's something greater ahead of you. When you're getting out of debt and you're making sacrifices and people call you stupid, and why don't you just come have some fun with us? No, you're looking forward to the reward. Go ahead and do that. By the way, throw in one more verse, Romans 13 and 8. This is the New International Version. The apostle says, let no, no debt remain outstanding. Pay your bills. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. When you're getting up every day and you're doing your best for Jesus and your friends are making fun of you and they say, why are you doing that? Come on, live a little. Remember, I can't please everyone, but I can please God. I'm doing what he has created me to do. And when I do that, I will be the most fulfilled and ultimately the most happy in my life. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you make your choices and then your choices make you. You choose, you choose purpose over popularity because you know who created you and you know who designed you and you know what he wants in your life. Two couple more things as we close. Number one is this. I'm just these are repetitions. There's a greater value in serving God's purpose than living for the approval of people. You may get some value. I'm not saying it's there's no value in it, but the greater value is in serving God's purpose. And the next thing is this, we can't please everyone, but we can please God. Isn't that isn't that amazing? Can't please everyone. Matter of fact, some people you can't please at all seems like. And, and, and no matter how much people like you, you don't please them all the time. 
but you can please God. That's just an absolutely amazing thing. Ultimately, that's what matters. And so let's just close with this final thought. I choose purpose over popularity. I choose to do what God has called me to do rather than what people pressure me uh, into doing. I choose God's purpose for my life. Father, I know you're here today, and I thank you for that. <clears throat> and I just ask you to take the words that have been spoken and use them in our hearts and let it not be just some, another empty thing that happens at church. Well, it sounds good. We enjoyed that. But, but let us know what your purpose is for our lives today, this Sunday. What's my purpose for today? And help me to fulfill that, and then for tomorrow, and then for the next day, and then in the future. Let me think that nothing is unimportant, but if you give me to do it, it's important. And I need to, I need to fulfill that purpose today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we?